One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. It's Allison Schaefer, and I'm excited to bring you another guest today. I want to introduce you to my friend and colleague, Pascal Brady. She is the founder and president of Global Life Coaching, and it is uh, she's also known as the Challenge Coach. I'm going to get all her handles and everything up in the bio, so you will be able to follow her. Pascal is a professional certified life business and mentor coach. She's a consultant and a trainer speaker with 30 plus years of professional experience, both in the corporate world and also as an entrepreneur. After 12 years as an international sales and marketing executive, Pascal was certified as a coach with CTI and founded her company Global Life Coaching in 2005. In addition to coaching, Pascal is an intercultural trainer, a certified Adlerian parent educator, and a wellness mindfulness trainer, and a sought-after speaker, especially on the topics of courage and resilience. She is French, German, American, and Adlerian. We're our own country. I love it. And she works fluently in all four languages, which I also love that you put that in there because sometimes people do say, you Adlerians don't talk like anybody else. Uh, She is also a widow and a proud mom of two young adult women. And, And Pascal is passionate about helping her clients transform their challenges into growth and success because, and this is the quote, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Alison. I'm so excited to do this with you today. Thank you for having me. Really, it's an honor. I am so excited to have this conversation. No, so people don't know that before we do these podcasts, there's some backing and forthing and some arrangements and what are we going to talk about? And I specifically wanted to seek you out to talk about encouragement as a fellow Edlerian who teaches these concepts to so many diverse audiences, not just parents, Mm -hmm. and knowing that you have it as a tenant in your work life that you could speak to it. 
And as we're backing and forthing, and I'm reading your notes and what you've sent to me, I realize, oh my gosh, I've known you for years. We've done so much like conferences and we have all this shared world together. And I'm reading through the notes and I thought, oh my gosh, there's this whole part of your life that I don't know about. So I am super excited for this conversation as friends getting to know each other deeper and as two Adlerians who get to blow up a concept that... I feel I talk about on my podcast and in my parenting classes, but I feel like I just, it's hen scratch. I just don't think that I get deep enough into it. And so I'm so excited to bring you into this conversation so we can go into the deep, tap the deep vein of the concept of encouragement. Super. Me too. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. So, so let's, let's start. I'm just going to give you the, 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 the opening field here. If you were to do your best crack at getting people to understand encouragement, where do you begin? Where's your definition? Like, how do you, what, what's your opening statement knowing that we've got time to dig into it, but where do you begin? Man, that's a curveball. I didn't prepare for that one. So, <laughs> so, um, you know, what I explain in my classes when we're talking, when we're on the topic of encouragement in my parenting classes is and I'm French, as you said earlier. So in the word encouragement is the word courage. And in the word courage is the word cœur. And cœur means heart in French. So to encourage is to give heart. And so that's kind of where I start. That's my starting point. It is to enhearten other people, to give them courage. And so the other thing that I tell people, because I really, I'm a biker. I think you are too, right? Yes, yes. You and I both bike and run. Yep. And so um, I I look at uh, encouragement, like uh, filling up the bicycle uh, wheel um, with, with a little bit of air. So an encourager is somebody that pumps people, other people up with their little bicycle pump and they're like, fill them up with stuff so that they can, you know, roll in life and be okay and, and have a smooth ride. Yeah. I, well, I, I also use that word courage and I think about the courage to be imperfect, to be a humble human. And I remember my, you know, cause my grandparents also taught Illyrian parent education and I come from that background. I remember them having these pencils whether they were their own pencils or they picked them up as swag at an Adlerian conference, I don't know. But as a little kid, I remember they had these pencils that were all like kind of twisted like pretzels and bent and imperfect. And then mm-hmm. on the side of the pencil, it said the courage to be imperfect. And I just remember it's like this, like to me, this was like probably my earliest introduction to Adlerian psychology, bent pencils with a motto, the courage to be imperfect. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I think that's, that's what the courage is not about being the courage isn't about being the strongest and the toughest, you know, that's a, that's a misunderstanding, you know, that people have around that, that word courage that, you know, it's the, it's the courage. Like I think Brene Brown with her vulnerability and, and putting it all out there and, and pushing on anyways. It's exactly that. Yeah. It's, it's uh, being able to face creatively uh, the challenges that life throws at you. You know, I'm the challenge coach. And so people come to me because they have challenges. So, you know, your your next challenge is in the mail. That's life. That's the story of life. You have stuff coming at you all the time. And so how do you deal with the challenges that are that are thrown at you by life? And so if you are somebody who's encouraged, if you are filled with courage, then you're better able to deal with life. You're just better at life. So other things that I say to people is, um, you were talking about the courage to be imperfect, which comes from Dreikers, which was, you know, Adler's friend and colleague. And so another thing that he said is, he said, children need encouragement, like plants need water. And so I also tell people that the way that you uh, you can view encouragement is 
encouragement is really about watering the flowers versus watering the weeds. What do you want to grow in other people? Do you want to grow their flowers or do you want to grow their weeds, right? And so if you want to grow encouragement in people, you want to focus on the flowers. And in Adlerian psychology, we all know it's strength-based. It's focusing on what is working, what is, what, is, what is progress, what is trying to be better versus focusing on what's not working. And, and, uh, and so another thing that I think a lot about, which has become kind of more obvious for me lately also, is this very, very simple, basic truth, which is that we do better when we feel better. We do better when we feel better. And concurrently, we are not going to be doing too well when we feel, okay, I'm going to say polite, when we don't feel good, right? And um, and so encouragement is all about helping people feel better so that they can be the best version of themselves. So that's, that's another way that I look at it. And uh, you and I, um, you know, swim into the Adlerian waters. And so we know that mental health is really about being socially interested. And what that means is thinking beyond ourselves and thinking about how can I contribute? How can I make a significant difference in the world? What can I do that's, uh, that, that makes me feel good, that makes me feel significant, that's a contribution and makes a difference? So I am not going to be very socially interested it, if I'm not feeling well, because if I'm not feeling well, I'm kind of like in the survival mode. I'm ego-based, ego-centered. It's all about me and about woe me and about not feeling good, about dealing with my problems. And from that place of not being well, feeling well, I am not socially interested. I'm not like in, I'm not for others. I'm just for myself from that place of not unwellness, right? And so encouragement is also about that. When you give encouragement to others and when people feel encouraged, they feel good, they feel good about themselves and now they can be for others. So that's another thing that's- And, in- and there's the we, the we, this is why the, the weaving of the concepts in Adlerian psychology you know, like you kind of have to know all the branches because they make a cloth, they weave together to make a full Mm -hmm. story. And so what you just talked about there was, you know, the difference between the individualistic ego, competitive superiority, it's all about me, how, you know, um, I don't know if I fit in, I don't know if I belong, um, you know, being super performance based, like I'm only as good as the last good thing I did, I've got to be the best, I got to have the A mark on the paper, I got to be the best batter on the baseball team, or the thinnest girl or whatever, you know, substitute anything for good, better besting, versus this other viewpoint, which is so more culturally uh, supported, I would say, in other societies, like we're a, we're a very individualistic collective society. But if people who travel abroad and you go to different parts of the world and you start to realize, oh, there's actually people who aren't, <laughs> don't, they don't train their children for narcissism, uh, you know, right. that they have a more, you know, our First Nations people and, you know, some of some of these older cultures that are still much more communal collectivist type uh, cultures where you think about the group first, you're trained from the earliest of age to contribute and give back and to participate. And, and when kids can find their place and they don't get on this ego superiority kind of North American crap that we live in, when that's solved and, and, and when we invite them into the group, right? When we invite them into the group and they can solve that problem pro-socially, uh, you know, that's the part where it's like, what we know is it's it's not like, well, this kid needs this and that kid needs that. It's like, no, human beings need to feel that they can belong and contribute, <laughs> right? And and uh, and we need to we need to open the doorways and invite it and encourage it. Otherwise, that's when to your point, that's when they feel good. 
That's where the fe- the feel good is not getting the A's in the report card. The feel good is not being the top of the baseball team. The 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 the, the feel good is belonging and contributing. Exactly. And you know what I uh, I often talk to people when we're when they start our parenting classes at at Pep. We'll talk about Pep later, but is uh, and I'm sure that you've experienced this with the parents that you work with. Is parents who learn how to parent their kids with these principles have kids that at same height actually walk, walk a couple of inches taller. You know, their shoulders are back, you know, their heads are high up and they walk tall because they feel good about themselves. They are confident in their abilities. They are, they are courageous. They know that they can face difficult things. They know that they're making a difference and that they're significant. And that just makes you taller. It's, no? it's like, it's like when you send your kid off to overnight camp for a week and they come back and you're like, Whoa, my kid's <laughs> so grown up. It's like, yeah, they just got a whole boost of encouragement because they lived a week without you and they discovered that they're really competent and capable and survive yeah but to your point and let's get into our 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 different families upbringing because there is something about being in the presence of somebody who is naturally encouraging i think it's one of the things that we like about hanging around with other edlerians because it's like oh my god it's other people that are encouraging and they're just you can't you you can't not want to be with them because it just feels so damn good and you don't get a lot of that out in bigger culture and we're masterful at it um and maybe some people listening to this podcast might recognize oh well i don't really know if they were Illyrian, but i really remember my like grade eight teacher just Mm -hmm. There was just something about her that she just like lit me up and just believed in me or whatever. Exactly. Um, Bingo. Mm -hmm. And it's great if you have a grade eight teacher that did that and didn't know that it was an Illyrian concept or that they were being encouraging. You can do it without knowing what, what the construct is. But obviously a lot of this comes from our primary nuclear family, our earlier experience. And you and I had very different experiences with that. So, so I'm going to tip, I'm going to toss it over to you. (laughs) <laughs> so so Tell to start with confident. you said earlier that I'm intercultural um uh, trainer as well right so I I'm from France I grew up in Paris um and I only came to the United States when I was 26 years old so for the first 26 years of my life I grew up in France and I don't know if you know this about the French maybe your Canadian um um what's the word I'm looking for oh I've got um, some stereotypes that I could be discouraging about <laughs> So, so your your um, other Canadians that are listening to this are probably um, might know might not know this about French French people, but French people by definition. And so, if French are listening to me, I hope nobody takes this personally. But they're it's a national sport to be critical in France. So, so you know how in America you are innocent until proven guilty. Well, in France you're guilty until proven innocent. Uh-huh. You know that's the kind of like the default setting. So a French person walks into a room and they scan like a wedding, for example, or or meeting. They scan the room automatically without even noticing that they're doing that and they notice everything that's wrong so it's a it's a glass half empty kind of society and culture right and then when when they realize then they can relax then they can look at the other side of things and what's actually working well and then everything's fine right so in the end everything is like everywhere else but but, but that's the, the cultural default setting is to, the, is to be critical look for the defects not the strengths and the beauty and yeah and so a lot of so so a lot of french people come to the united states i know i'm, I'm diverging and we're not talking about families no, again no, but just okay. to illustrate my point I also coach expats. So I coach people that come to this country and I help them integrate in this country. And so when I coach particularly French people, they come originally and they say, oh, those Americans, they're so positive. They're so superficial. There's nothing behind it because they're not used to the smile and the and the openness and the niceness. And they think it's suspicious. Right. So their initial uh, setting and then and then they um 
you know, they send their kids to French school and they, and French school is really bad. It's like, you know, ev my every single um, uh, report card that I used to get when I was a kid, right? I used to be a, a good, a good student, not a great student, a good, and I would work really, really hard. So I was a teacher. I loved learning. I loved working hard. And so I would get B's, B minuses, C's. I don't know how, how you grade in Canada, but I, I used to get these grades. And, uh, but the teacher would always say, can do better, could apply herself more is not, you know, it's kind of like distracted in class versus, you know, focusing on the effort and focusing on my hard work and my positive attitude in class. No, I would always get the, the stick, like what, what wasn't going well, right? So the French people, they come here, they put their kids in French school, and then one of the kids somehow is not doing well or is whatever, and they end up putting the, one of the kids in American school. And then they're like, wow, that is actually a pretty cool system. And then they take their other kids and they put them in American school too. And then three or four years later, they have to go back to France and the parents cry, say, how are my kids going to survive in French school? Why? Because they got a taste of encouragement. They got a taste of positivity, of focusing on strength, on pulling people up and with a growth mindset, mindset instead of like constantly like hitting them down, right? So that's the culture I come from. So you can imagine I come to this culture and I drink up the encouragement and the positivity because I love it so much. I understand those are two separate things. Then my family of origin. So with all due respect, my father just passed away. I loved him dearly. Yeah. There were many, many good parties. And very recently, and folks, I just want people to know that we've just connected around. You, you've just gone over to look after all of that. And I really, I am, I, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I know you're still in the depths of your grieving. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So my, my parents, my dad's French, my mom's German, so they're from different cultures, and my mom is a very happy person. So it was definitely more my dad and the French side of the family. And so what was encouraging about my parents is they both really, really, really wanted kids. And then on top of that, they had a first child that died at birth. And so I was number, I was number two and number one. But you can imagine that when I was born, I was the like the you know, the Messiah, like, like they had been waiting for me for a long time and I was really replacing somebody that hadn't made it. So that was in some ways was very encouraging. I could do no wrong. I was super special at birth, you know, so that's has that this has had another slew of challenges for me, but, but that was what was in, encouraging was unlimited love. And one thing that I always knew, and I was surprised when I found out other families, other kids didn't have that is that my parents would have stood between us and death and they would have had themselves killed before anybody touched one of our hair, you know? And so having that gut knowing that you are safe and that nobody's going to touch a hair on your, that you are safe, there's no greater and more encouraging gift, I think, to know that you are safe, you know? So that, that was the encouraging part. Oh, well, the, you know, you talk about that's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and people will right. know that from from college and university or even grade 12, you, you know, but Maslow studied under Adler and, uh, yes. you know, yeah, he, he, he you know, he, he embellished and, and took things, but there's there's nothing there that that isn't compatible with what we talk about. But he talks about having that psychological security that is psychological security. Like when and we feel this in our adult friendships, like I, I often use the expression you know, that friend would take a bullet for me. Yes. That, you know what I mean? Yes. And that feeling is unbelievable, you know? Yeah. So you had that for your folks. You just knew like that was solid state for you. That was, that was the encouraging part of yeah. things. And then, um, 
uh, the thing that was not so that was not so much encouraging in our house was uh, that my father, in particular, bless his heart, was a very, very, very critical French person and uh, very classically French. Classically so just, French. Just, yeah, so we can <laughs> very a... labeling, and so not not only did they he label everybody else, you know, he the the isms in my house, yeah, you know, racism and other isms were very very present in my house. Um, and so there was a lot of labeling, but also labeling of the kids. So, you know, um, she's so clumsy, like everything she touches, she breaks. Um, look at how big she is. Like she's, she's like an elephant. And then my father would say to me, he loved Japanese women and he loved Japan and Asian culture. And he had this adulation for the feminine world, which again is another set of problems, but it's like, you need to make small steps. You need to be small. You need to have like this. You're not feminine enough. You're not feminine enough. You're just too loud and too boisterous and too this and too that and not enough this and not enough that. And that was not encouraging. And that really messed me up. You know, it took me took a lot of work uh, as an adult, as a later adult, because I didn't discover Adler and Adlerian therapy and therapy until my, what, 40s, early 40s. And that's when I started doing this work and realizing that that was actually not okay. <laughs> it was not okay that I'd been raised that way, and that there was something kind of not, not quite right with me and that I had a lot of really bad behavioral and, and mental habits that came directly from that, right? So that was that was the discouraging part. The exceeding- what, a, what a great, ex- and thank you for sharing that, but what a great example of how kids can quietly be told there's a standard imposed on you, you know, and he's basically saying, you know, be diminutive, take little steps, talk quietly, meet the conform to this ideal. Now that could be anything that could be get A's, be a soccer player. Like it could be anything that parents say, but the point is you're still saying, you will be my okay child when you fit inside this criteria that I deem for you rather than you are your own authentic person and I'm not going to hush you and change you and whatever. Um, I, I, lo- I love you as you are. And of course, I'm sure your, your father did love you. I think I'm sure that in, he was absolutely saying like, but just wouldn't it be better if you were more Japanese? Yeah. <laughs> And I wasn't, I was more German, right? And right. So here, here's, here's the messed up thing. And this is very personal, I understand. But just, just to tell you, I got the subliminal message because that first little boy that was born was a boy. And by the way, he had the same name. They picked the same name, which was not a very smart thing to do. Oh, so wow. Pascal and Pascal with and without an E, but I was the, the number two Pascal in there, right? And I had to replace. So in my in my little idea head, unconsciously, obviously, I had decided I was going to be a boy because they lost the boy. So I was going to replace the boy. So I was going to be a boy. So, you know, a boy doesn't, is not Japanese with little feet and little steps. A boy is like a boy. So I had, I I was getting these like mixed messages, which was not easy. So anyway, that's. Well, I just want, I'm just going to share since we're all tipping our cards on something personal. (laughs) So I have three older brothers and my mother was a tomboy. And so I grew up in a very masculine dominated household. And if you're, if, if from the Adlerian concept of wanting to like fit in and belong and knowing that we're creative meaning makers, it could have gone two ways for me. I could have differentiated myself and found myself as being like the princess and standing out as being hyper feminine, but I didn't go that route. I could have, I could have found my own like non-competitive, just like, you know, I, I don't compete. No, I wanted to be in with the boys. I wanted to do what the boys were doing. You know, I wanted the bar on my bike because girl bikes didn't have the Mm -hmm. the crotch bar. And I was like, I don't want a girl's bike. I want a guy's bike. I want to be like full, you know, I wanted to do everything as masculine as possible. Um, 
you know, and then it wasn't until, you know, I went through puberty where I realized like, oh, like I'm supposed to be girly and I have no, tra- I have no training in girly. <laughs> Same with me. Very deficient and have all kinds of inferiority things about, oh boy, like, I don't know how to be a woman. I I really missed out on my training. So isn't it interesting how life sends us these feelings of inferiority that can be very subjective, but we, you know, we were, our parents, our parents do, you know, give us the sense of, are you okay or not okay? And so, you know, I said, like, when we talked pre-interview, I was saying like the, growing up in an Adlerian household, I have to say my mother was a master encourager Mm. and she was a teacher and it was just in her personality. It wasn't just her training. It's not like she could just like pass the Adler test. I think it's naturally how she was and she got Adlerian training. I think that's just to your point. It's a mindset. It's how she saw life and she was a teacher and my mom died very early, but like the, the students who streamed in to give, you know, their, their memories of my mom, you know, she died at 56, like she was young. And these students that came out of the woodwork to say, like, she saw me, she knew me when everybody gave up on me, when she, you know, all the little touch point, these little touch points. And I got to live with that every day in my life. Like I'm, it, like what? No an, wonder you're Alison Schaefer. No what, wonder. I, well, listen, <laughs> it's also not, you know, I got to tell you, there's a little bit of pressure of like keeping the bar that high and repeating what my mother managed to pull off. And uh, I'm really sorry that my, she died before my children could know her. Oh. Um, but it does, but it do, I think with every generation, if we keep teaching this, if we keep passing it on, you know, you figured this out at 40, you had to relearn and whatever, and you've made it your life to go into a profession to help other people with this. But imagine if we keep passing it on and passing it on and more and more people get raised with these early, more encouraging teachers, you know, more encouraging families, more encouraging institutions for Pete's sakes. I mean, we could go global on this. You know, it's really, uh, you know, whatever, each one, teach one, one family at a time. It's, yeah. it's, it's inspiring, really inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. And Adler must have, can you imagine, in the, think about what it was like turn of the century Germany. Like, what you know, I mean, I'm sure kids were still getting the strap and, you know, like, it was still such a very punitive do as I say. Now he was, he was such a radical. I think now people like people are, you know, well, if I'm just soft, if I'm just nice, then they're not going to be motivated or what, you know, whatever I think. But, but I think there's never been a more better time to bring these ideas to parents. Cause I think they are really, Oh, I think they really do kind of get it. Want to get it. Right. Well, it's, it's, um, how do you call it? It's like, it's like almost catching when you, people that come to these classes or they speak with you or they speak with me, the, the, the clients, the clients of coaching, right? They, once you put your little finger in it, and that's what happened to me at 40, I just, I took a parenting or at 35, I took a parenting class, an Adlerian parenting class, and I discovered Adler and I, it was like drinking the Kool-Aid, like I couldn't get enough of it, right? Just like more and more and more. And everybody who comes to those parenting classes, whether it's PEPs or the Positive Discipline with Jane Nelson or people that come to your, uh, your programs, right? They, they, they get a little taste, one hour talk, you give one hour talk and they, they listen to this and they're like, oh, where do I get more of this? Where do I get more of this? Because like you said, it's a mindset. I, I also call it like a posture. And when you have become a natural encourager, whether you were it at birth or whether you've learned how to become one, I wasn't, I, I still 
have to learn and practice every day. Like I still have my, my, you know, almost in my DNA discouraging tendencies that I learned for so many decades and practiced for so many decades. So I'm still working on, on weaning myself off of those. But um, once you, once you start practicing this, using this and, and mostly feeling it, then, then you, you, you want more of it. Like you can't get enough of it. You know, it's, it's, it's addictive. It's contagious and it's addictive. <laughs> yeah. I tell people it's the difference between candy and nourishment. Everybody likes a little praise. Like who wouldn't who wouldn't like a little praise, a little pat on the head, a little validation or whatever, but that's like candy. That's like a quick hit. Encouragement is like deep soulful nutrition. It just you just feel it differently. Um and it is that it's like radical love, radical acceptance, radical faith in another human being. The faith to be able, well, it goes back to the courage piece to be able to manage life. Yes, exactly. You know, and, and um, so one of the things that Adler says um, is half of the job, like we can teach parents to be encouraging because they get, they get very confused between encouragement and praise, but half the job is just learning to not be discouraging. Right, exactly. And there's a million things that we do in our, in our interactions. And again, I'm going to go back to culture and training. Cause I don't want anyone to feel that we're, sh- we're not sh- wagging the shame finger at any parent here. No, the way that our cultures and the way that our history has unfolded is the way that we kind of know classical parenting to be is a bunch of discouraging experiences. And we see it through the lens of, but I love my child. And so therefore I'm you know, I want to be helpful. I want to, I want to, you know, protect them. I want to do for, and all these things that we think are the, what we think the role of parenting is. It's and we haven't job, seen, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, we haven't seen it through the lens of, you know, so, so say something about how good parenting can be discouraging. <laughs> well, this morning I'm talking to this morning, I talked to a client yesterday. I had two uh, parenting classes and, and groups, right. And, and I had the same story three times of somebody who is, and, and you must have this all the time. I see, I see your post and I see what you're doing right now. So it's kind of like the topic of the day is I worry about my kid. My, wor- my kid is so sensitive and he just had this kid hit him, hit him over the head the other day. He's 10 years old. He got, and I'm so worried about him. How is he, how is he going to do in life? If, because he's so sensitive, he needs to grow his thicker skin. Like I need to help him grow his thicker skin. Right. And, and, uh, and that is discouraging behavior because that is not holding the posture that the kid is going to be able to deal with both being sensitive, which, by the way, is such a wonderful quality that you do not want to, you know, beat out of them, um, how to both be sensitive and to be courageous and be able to deal with life. And how do how, you can't like tell them with your words, you need to grow as thick as skin. I'm sorry, I can't say these words. You need to be stronger. You need to be more courageous. You need to be tougher. You can't be so sensitive. You can talk all you want till you get blue in the face. It is not going to teach your child. Your child needs to have the experience of the bully hitting them over the head. And then you come, they come home and you're on the team, on their team. That's encouragement. You're on their team together with them. And you say, come here, honey. Let me hug you. That must have really been awful. That, that must have sucked. I'm so sorry you had to go through this. Talk to me about it. Tell me. Tell me how was it. Tell me how you feel. And you let all the emotions come out and until there is nothing left. And there you, you so encouragement is listening. It's like I'm listening to you. I I see you. I hear you. What you just said, Asan, right? And then number two is 
I accept you the way you are. You are a sensitive child. I, I, I know that you are. And so for you, it's even more difficult than for another kid to get hit over the head. And on top of that, he was your friend. So you don't understand how this could happen, right? So this is really, but I see you. I know you're sensitive. I know it's a wonderful quality. And I know you have what it takes to survive. I believe, you know, the, the Adlerian as if, the parents have to be the as if people. In fact, the truth is this mom this morning, she doesn't really believe that he has what it takes. She really is afraid. But I said, if you are afraid, he's going to drink afraid from you. And that's not what he needs. In order to become strong and courageous, he needs to drink calm. And mom's okay. She believes that I'm going to be okay. So I'm going to be okay, right? So the belief in our kids and stretching ourselves just a little bit beyond what we might maybe really believe that they can or that they are just really believing for them on their behalf so that they can believe it themselves. So another way that I describe encouragement is it's planting little seeds inside of our children that they can grow from within about their own self-awareness and self-capacities and self-competencies, right? So we're planting those little seeds by believing on their behalves, by mirroring back to them what they are capable of. Look at what you just did. Look at what you just did. He beat you over the head and then you went to the principal's office. They asked you if, if you wanted them to talk to the parents and you said no. That was an amazingly empathic and wonderful thing to do and so courageous. Wow, you. Good for you, right? So that to me, that is encouraging. Yeah. So when you think about why would a child think if your mother or your father or your primary attachment figure for those that are you know adopted and fostering and whatever, if the main person doesn't think that you can manage... Why would you think more of yourself than they do? Exactly. Right? You, you know, exactly. So one Adlerian, I forget who it was. It's an Adlerian here in, in my Maryland circle said to me, oh, Barbara Fairfield, wonderful Adlerian therapist. She said, to, she said to me in a workshop once, a child never leaves a house more emotionally evolved or mentally evolved than the parents, than, than the house that they came out of. So in order for our children to go beyond who they are, what they are, to, to be encouraged, courageous, to grow what they need to grow, they need to have parents that raise that ceiling, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, and because you coach and, and I do family counseling, we're trained mm -hmm. in, in um, holding hope and faith for the client when they don't have it in themselves. And it is part of being in a therapeutic relationship. And I think being a parent is a therapeutic relationship. You don't believe that you can handle that kid and going back to the school. You don't think that you're going to be able to handle COVID and going back into the classroom. But I do. And I wouldn't put you in a situation where I didn't think you could handle it. Exactly. Right? right. So off you go. And even if they come back in tears, it doesn't mean you're wrong. You just, to your point, you know, then we just say like, oh, that was a real challenge. You were really exercising your courage muscle today. You know, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Now, now you told me, you know, also, I didn't realize that you had a daughter with some health issues. Yeah. So I thought you'd never ask. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no I so, didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know you were a widow and I didn't know you had, I mean, you've, you've had, you have had to be a courageous woman by God. I thank God I met Adler when I did, you know, I needed him right then and there when things started hitting the fan in my, in my house. So yeah, I had a, a kid who, when she was two years old, uh, started breaking her 
her leg, her tibia, and we found out that she had a one in a million, very, very rare disease, um, which is a recurring tumor in the tibia, which is very aggressive and usually leads to either amputation and or cancer and or death eventually. I mean, it's, it's nasty. So this oh, kid spent gosh. seven years of her life as the one-legged lady because she didn't like crutches and she didn't like wheelchairs and she didn't like to stand out. So she would always just jump on one leg. So she had the Olympic leg and then the other one that was just a complete mess, right? Thank goodness I had met Adler and I knew I had taken these classes. Thank goodness I knew that I couldn't, I shouldn't pity her, that I shouldn't give her special service, that I shouldn't demand less of her just because she was lying on the couch and just had this major surgery and that she should still, you know, can you help me with whatever task, right? And because she still needed to find a way, despite all of her organ inferiorities in this case, she needed to figure out ways that she could still feel significant and matter above and beyond being the girl with the leg, you know, the girl with the fixator, the girl with the wheelchair, you know, she needed to figure out a way that she also wouldn't go into, oh, whoa, me, I'm so special because I have this thing, right? And so encouragement in this case was totally believing and pretending as if she was going to be okay. She wasn't going to die. She was going to make it through the next surgery. She could get up and do the dishes, even though she had just one leg to stand on, you know, that she, sorry, I'm going to get emotional, but that, you know, thank you for your vulnerability believing on her behalf. And so that was uh, immense. And then she healed. um, She, she, thankfully we met the one world specialist in this who was very near us and, and, and fixed it for her. And so she's like a medical miracle, really. She's this amazing dancer now. And uh, um, go figure. She goes into dance. I love it. Doesn't that say something about how we make me, how we overcompensate for things we can't do. Oh my gosh. It's incredible. Yeah. But uh, then a year later, my husband got cancer. And so he had very, very, very bad, nasty cancer for three years. And then he died, you know, and he, he like checked out on us, which was not cool because that's not what we had signed up for. And uh, my kids were 10 and 12. And so you better believe again that, you know, thank goodness for, uh, you know, Adler and parenting and thank goodness we had already started family meetings. And, you know, so one of the things that was one of the most encouraging things I probably ever said in my life was, you know, first family meeting after he died. It's like, okay, kids, probably not on that tone, right? But um, there was four of us, now there's three. So we need to reshuffle the responsibilities here. The wheel doesn't work anymore. So you're going to have to redo a new wheel with just three people. And um, and who's going to take on what task? Because your dad was a big person. He was 6'2". He was like very capable. He was like intelligent. He was doing a lot of stuff in this house and in this yard and, and, and in our family. Who wants to take on what? And so my little one, Ava, 10 years old, said, well, you know what? I'm really good at IT and technology. So I'm going to be the technology person in the family. And I'm going to be the man of the house. I'm going to be the man <laughs> of the house. I will nail the nails and I will change the light bulbs and I will do this. And, and uh, my other one said, well, you know what? I'm, I can't do these things, but I'll be your assistant, your, your, your mom's assistant so that you have more time to work. So I'll do the, the woman's stuff of the house. I'll cook, I'll clean, you know, so that you can spend more time working because now you're going to have to go to work and really earn, you know, a living. I'm making it sound funny. It wasn't funny. No, it, was, it, was, I'm, it's, it was beautiful. It's beautiful. That it was, it's beautiful. It's the, you know what, that to your, to your point, like, you know, we invest in this psychology because, and it's hard having family meetings is hard. Raising kids to be independent is hard. It's way easier to just do it for them. And then you get these moments where you see the return on your investment, like you did at that family meeting. And you're like, oh my God, 
that's why we put up with all the crappy meetings, hours. all the hours of consequences and, 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 you know, letting them be late and, you know, feeling like all the stuff that we leaving do. Leaving the restaurant. This you is mean we all have to piece. leave the restaurant because she behaves poorly? We have to leave all of us? My husband, Steve, used to say, no, no, I'm not doing that. He was 20 years older than me and didn't buy into any of this stuff. It's like, no, we're not leaving just because she's throwing fries. It's just like, go put her in, in the car. It's like, and, and we're going to finish eating, right? No, it's putting up with those things. And then it, it pays off. When, when, this is a hard psychology. When people, when people confuse our psychology as being very child-centered and permissive, that often gets confused. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. This is a very hard psychology. Can I tell you an example? I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you, but that no, last, no. Night, last night in one of the classes, parenting classes, this woman says, you know, I'm sick and tired of nagging, sick and tired of nagging. It, it's like the consequences, they don't work. And so I got so sick and tired. I've come home from work. I've worked all day. I'm exhausted. It's too tiring for me to fight about with them about nine, six and nine, six and four years old. Too, too tiring for me to fight with them about the dishwasher. I wait till they go to bed. And when they, they I can peacefully empty my dishwasher. And I said, no, 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 no. You're not doing that. Like that's being lazy. You're being a lazy parent right now. How are you teaching them? responsibility, courage, that you have to do things even when you don't want to do them. Like, how are they going to go out in life and know that they have to do things even when, you know, I don't like scrubbing the toilets either and they need to be scrubbed. I'm sorry, or nor do my taxes. You need, so you're not doing that. You're sitting with them in a family meeting and you're brainstorming with them until they have come up with an idea on how they're going to, you know, either empty the dishwasher or do something else, you know, but uh so another another story that I want to tell you that I told last night in the class because it was such a such a strong moment. So um, Steve had just died, and it was um, in March, and this was Christmas. And my youngest Eva was now a dancer, so she's in the Nutcracker. So that means two full weekends before leading up to Christmas of nonstop rehearsal, driving back and forth, etc. And I'm you know recent widow. I haven't done this by myself before. I'm like crying in my car. It's like I haven't done anything. I haven't you know decorated the house. And we do traditional Christmas you know, this, I'm awful. I'm like letting my kids down. It's absolutely awful. Right. And I drive Ava, my, my youngest one back from the nutcracker. And I tell the kids, okay, I'm going to go out now. This is like the day before Christmas. I'm going to go out now and I'm going to get Christmas ready. I'm going to go shop and get everything organized. You guys just, you know, stay put. And, but I felt guilty and horrible. And I go out and I have this, and I'm exhausted. I'm on, I'm at the end of my rope completely. Right. And I have this major car accident and my car gets total. My car gets totaled, right? And this is like oh. December 23rd. And so I call the girls and I said, you know, but I've gone through so much nasty stuff in my life to this point that this is not a big deal. Like I'm alive. Everybody else is alive. My car's total. Who cares? I'm alive, right? So I have that attitude. So I I, I call the kids and I say, guys, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be back for dinner. You guys are on your own. Um, I just had this car accident and I'm gonna, it's going to take me hours, you know, by the time it's towed and stuff like that. I walk in probably 9 30, 10 o'clock at night. I've had to wait for the tow, you know, the entrance, the police reports and stuff like that. So I walk in, it's like 9 30, 10 o'clock at night, December 23rd. I have not shopped, right? I have not prepared Christmas. I'm going to lose it telling you this again. I walk in the door. The entire house is decorated, lit up. I had put up a tree, but the tree was not decorated. They decorated the tree, they baked cookies. They made this big welcome home, mom. We're, we're so happy you're okay with little green and red and white balls, you know, that was on the door. Um, they had present under the tree. I mean, it was surreal. They were 10 and 12 or 11 and 13, and they had created Christmas all by themselves, all by themselves. 
it was just, it was just, I cannot describe to you. And that was, you know, yes, that family meeting was big, but that, that moment was for me, like the everything coming together of this encouragement stuff really, really, really pays off, which is, you know, they, when they do good, when they feel good, they do good. Now they didn't feel great because they had just lost their father, you know, and their mother was, a, was in the, was a mess, but they, they rose up to the occasion. They're the ones who, you know, contribution in that moment was where it was at, you know? And clearly they didn't think, well, what if we decorate the tree wrong because mom likes balls on a certain level. And if I get the balls wrong and if we do the cookies, but we don't get the icing right, we might get scolded. Like, you know, you think, right? You know, you, you, you have to have already set this environment where they're willing to give it a go because that's not what's important. Like they were all, they, they put, all uh, freedom of courage to, to say, you know, give it a go. That's what's important. Give it a go. Give it a go. Give it a shot. Do you know how, how beautiful is that? If you're in a highly critical environment and being judged, you'd be like, Ooh, I, I can't touch the tree because what if I do that wrong? You know, exactly. she's got a way she likes it, you know, and then, and then you just miss out on all this contribution back where it's, it's just, it's what a beautiful story. Oh my I walk, gosh. I walk in and of course I completely lose it at this point because I've held it together for months and weeks and, and, and that evening, the, the car accident and stuff. So I come in and I watch this and I just like become a puddle. Right. And so I sit on the chair and they're telling me they're so excited. They're so excited to tell me everything. And they said, should we tell her? Should we tell her? No, we shouldn't tell her. Yeah. I think we should tell her. We can tell her. They put dishwashing liquid in the dishwasher to do the dishes. That was done too, by the way. The whole dish. Oh. <laughs> they put dishwasher. So yep. there was suds all over the kitchen. <laughs> they fixed that. They fixed it all. You know, so it's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, it's not about. I love that. It's not about the making. So when you know, it's so funny. Just a reminder to parents here. So you're talking about a ten and twelve year old in your story, but again, going back, like people will say, "Well, what can a two year old do?" Oh my God. Like your 10 and 12 year old, just, you know, it's not just the decorating of the tree and whatever. They were like soul bombing you with what you needed emotion. They were emotionally caretaking you in a beautiful way yeah. at 10 and 12. So when people say like, well, what can a kid do? What can a kid do? What can a two-year-old do? A two-year-old can do a million things. I mean, when they wake up and they smile and you go like, oh, you just reminded me that there's joy in the world during a pandemic, you know, during climate change, you know, during hashtag me too, black lives matter. And this beautiful cherub of a kid smiled. You just made a huge contribution. You can be the four-year-old that does the knock-knock joke and let alone put the toilet paper in a basket or carry a plate from the table or like, you know, it just, it's, it's everything. It's about, you're important. You have a place in this family. You, you matter. You contribute at every level. You make a difference. And without you, this family wouldn't do as well yes yes that were critical part critical cogs in the machinery i want to i want to read you a quote and you had one too we both isn't it funny we're both getting prepared for this talk and then don't we both go and get poems <laughs> I, I i saw yours but you didn't see mine okay. so you probably know it though because it's actually from a uh, it's, it's from a galway who's a, a coach the art of tennis uh the, anyway doesn't matter it, it vaguely rings a bell but uh... anyway it's he, he's a coaching guy. But anyway, I love this quote and I put it in one of my books and I've had I have it on my website, but I'm just going to share it here on the podcast. So, so listen to this through the lens of encouragement. 
When we plant a rose seed in the earth, we notice that it is small, but we do not criticize it as being rootless and stemless. We treat it as a seed, giving it the water and nourishment required of a seed. When it first shoots up out of the earth, we don't condemn it as being immature and underdeveloped, nor do we criticize the buds for not being open when they appear. We stand in wonder of the process taking place and give the plant the care it needs at each stage of its development. The rose is a rose from the time it is a seed to the time it dies. Within it at all times, it contains its whole potential. It seems to be constantly in the process of change. Yet, at each stage, at each moment, it is perfectly all right as it is. Mm. I'm going to go steal that. It's beautiful. Galway. You know, so I get, you know, when, when the whole could do more living up to their potential again is just deficit deficit paying attention to deficit deficiencies doesn't speak to right now good enough good enough good enough if all of us as human beings could get the feeling that we're good enough because most adults and children walking around on this planet have the not good enough mindset and we really have to eradicate that can i read you mine that Please. goes well with what you just read. So this Please. is Kelly, Kelly Gibron. And um, it says, your children are not your children. They are sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their little bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backward, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. Beautiful. Right? Beautiful. The prophet, he, I mean, I love all, I love all of his, I don't know if you want to call them poems or essays, but, but amazing. Is there anything about encouragement that we have missed here in, in sharing our stories and embedding them in our lives and our teachings? I wonder if we should just spend a moment before we wrap up, and I want to give you a second to like give a pitch out to what's coming up with Pep and your work there. But I wonder if we need to just take a moment to make sure that people have a differentiator between praise and encouragement. Because it's not that pump that you pump into the bicycle wheel. It, it comes in different flavors, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I think it makes sense. Yeah. So, so people might be listening to this and not know, not, not have heard it yet. Not everything positive is encouragement. Exactly. So um, I, my short phrase for that is news. You can use encouragement is news. You can use. So you want to, you want to give to your plant in your children, those little seeds of self-awareness by telling them and, and telling either through behaviors or gestures or words, what you see them do. What you, what you witness them doing on a daily, moment-to-moment, day-to-day basis, as long as it's not eminently wrong. Like if, you know, if they really just hit somebody over the head, you, that would be difficult to, in, in, to encourage. But everything else, you get up, you got up, you put your shoes on, you helped your brother, you helped the neighbor, you really worked so hard on this and you, you, you hated it. You hated every moment of it, but you did it anyway. I have an example, um, my little one, Eva, with her one leg, you know, yeah. we had the first job in my family that, that people shared was setting the table um, when they were really little, right? So they took turns, uh, odd days, even days, they would set the table. And Eva 
hated the job, hated it. So she'd come on her one leg and she's like, why do I have to do this? It's always my day. Suzanne always gets out of it. Why do I, I really hate it? And that's a stupid rule. And I want a family meeting to talk about this. This is ridiculous. Meanwhile, she's setting the table. She's moaning, groaning, bitching, pardon my French, yeah. setting the table. And so at the end, I would go over to her and I say, you know, I can tell you really don't like to do this. And maybe we do need to revisit this in family meeting. But look, you did it anyways. And now we can eat dinner. Thank you. Right. So it's news they can use. It's like, oh, yeah. I don't like it, but I did it anyway. So it's kind of like really mirroring back, giving them the gift of awareness of, of their efforts, their progress, their, the, the things they do well, as well as the, you know, they're striving, they're overcoming, you know, it's just like putting, putting it into them. In the yeah. Of the seeds. yeah. Beautiful. Um, so you have something exciting coming up with Pep. People need to know about Pep. I've been, I've been, say, tell them about Pep because I've been, I've been a supporter and I've been out there to speak a bunch of times. But yeah, you, yeah, you Allison, you breathe it every day. Allison is our biggest, is, is a big fan, and she comes and she gives us the gift of of doing some of our webinars. So Pep is the Parent Encouragement Program. Encouragement, right in the name, <laughs> right in the name, middle name, because parents <laughs> need encouragement too. It's not just yes. You need oh my God! Right? And in fact, I would say, and I think I don't know if it was Drakers or Adler who originally said it: a discouraged parent can't be an encouraging parent. So we, it does begin with or us for or sure. It's very hard or it's very, very hard. Yeah. And so, um, so if you want to find out what we do, we teach uh, parent education classes and workshops and we have webinars. And of course we went completely fully online. So you can find it from wherever you are and it's under pep parent, P E P parent, dot org that's how you find us I'll and put so the we link get this in the notes big library lots of webinars uh, some of them are our allison's webinars and um and uh you know a, a regular newsletter with tips and tricks on parenting um and what i want to point out is that we reacted uh, very swiftly when um back in march when COVID started and started a free Parenting in the Age of Coronavirus webinar series. And it was free because we wanted everybody to have access to it. And we knew how much parents, like you do, how much parents needed help. And so we started this and we have never stopped it since. So we have morphed it into another name, which is now Critical Topics in Parenting, because it's not just COVID. It's also, yeah. you know, George Floyd and all these other things. Um, and, but, but we have, so we just came out, we had one last night, which was about uh, helping kids go back to school after COVID, things like that. And so those, this series is free and it's an incredible resource for people. And once you sign up for the series, you get access to all these webinars in the past also to the whole library for free. Amazing. Amazing. So we will put links up there for parents to jump on. And the content is, is this is an Adlerian organization, folks. So if you're, if you're listening to Parenting the Adlerian Way <laughs> and you are loving what you're hearing and you're like, where do I get more that I'm philosophically aligned with? You have just got a treasure trove. Tro tro what do what you say? It? Treasure, treasure trove? trove? Tre yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm French, I'm, don't ask yeah. me, what do I know? <laughs> I'm, I am loading you up with like a whole other world um, because I think sometimes when people learn about Adlerian psychology, they kind of feel like, you know, they're like the little minnow and they're swimming upstream and where are the other people and how do I find? And of course, we're well connected and we've been in this world for a while, so we see it, but we're not always, we're not always good promoters and we're not always good cross-populators and we're getting better now in this modern age with technology and it's been one of the benefits right. of, yes. of things being virtual and viral and whatever. 
So I'm thrilled to be able to let people know um, that, my God, even though you guys are in, no, do you say you're in Maryland or in Washington? Where where do you? We're we're in Maryland. We're right outside of Washington, D.C., but it doesn't matter anymore. Three states, when I travel, the three states all touch. So I've been to all three states in one drive to get to us to get to one of your talks. Yeah. No, we're based out of Kensington, Maryland, but we're really so virtual right now that it doesn't matter anymore. It really, it doesn't, it doesn't. And it's, and these topics are cross-border and international and and amazing. And and people can work one-on-one with you. So I will also put in all that, um, all your personal information. If people want to do coaching on a personal level or corporate level, Absolutely. You deliver deliver it all. Yeah. And it's all through the Illyrian lens. So anyways, I thank you so, so much for your time. Oh, it's me. It was wonderful. And your friendship and your vulnerability and for sharing and for all you do for the world. So thank you, my friend. I miss you. Right back at you. And I'll see you in Myrtle Beach in a few weeks. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) The plane tickets are crazy expensive. I'm not going to lie. I got a little shocked, a little sticker shock on the, oh, well, we can fly again if you're willing to pay for it. But anyways, I'm going. I'm going no matter what. I'm driving, so we're cool. All right. Well, I'm vaccinated. We'll hug in person. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Thank you, Allison. Take care. Bye-bye. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast, so thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.